Hello and welcome to the SCTS Education Podcast. I'm Caroline Toulon, one of the cardiothoracic trainees up in the northwest, and today I'm talking to Dr. Eva Camano Gutierrez, who is a data scientist. Um, who runs the computational biology facility up at Liverpool University. Uh, She has an active involvement in many aspects of research and also training around different research techniques. And today we're going to be tackling the subject of bias and how we can think about overcoming it in our uh, research projects to hopefully provide uh, the best output we possibly can. Uh, So here we go. Uh, So welcome to the SCTS um, Education Podcast and uh, thank you very much for joining me today, Eva. So today what we're going to sort of talk about is a little bit of the more sort of research research aspect of uh, what we all do in our daily lives, which is um, obviously we make decisions about patients and we're making treatment decisions all the time and we always try and make them evidence-based um, and one of the key things that's part of all our training is to do uh, some form of research and audit and to try and make that so it integrates into our work lives that we are able to continually learn and continually develop our practice and contribute ultimately um, to future developments in the field um, but I think it's more difficult than um, sometimes Sometimes it might always appear. And learning the correct methodology, I think, is, is sometimes a real challenge for people. I know I found it a challenge, um, for sure, in my training. Um, so, yeah, we have today Eva, who's going to talk all about, um, so, well, some aspects of research methodology. And we're going to um, attack a particular aspect of it today, which is um, really bias, and which is really fundamentally underlines a lot of the work that we're trying to do with research is trying to minimize that um, so we're just going to explore that concept a little bit and um, try and um, clear up things which maybe are uh, preconceptions we have or common mistakes so um, Eva if you'd like to introduce yourself that'd be great yeah thank you Caroline so uh, as Caroline said as I'm Eva I work at the University of Liverpool I manage one of the cell research facilities the computational biology facility and our work is mainly on three areas, uh, but all of them involve supporting researchers such as yourself. Anybody that is thinking of doing any piece of research could come and talk to us. We focus on training, and for this, for example, we have developed two very popular courses to learn how to use R, that is a statistical software, mm-hmm. learn a bit how to program, how to do data visualization, statistics. Uh, we also do one-to-one training if one uh, wants to access that. Then we do a bit of software development and database uh, development as well. And one of the impactful cases that we have supported with this is the ideal frequency net database. Some of you might have uh, uh, heard about it. And then our main uh, activity focus on data science and data analysis. So this is where we really get into collaborating with you guys Mm -hmm. and try to get the most out of your data, out of your experimental design and go a bit the extra mile to to analyze everything in a robust, consistent uh, manner. Excellent. And I think what you say there about it being robust and consistent is particularly important and particularly what I think we struggle with sometimes, particularly um, sometimes with 
everybody is time poor <laughs> and we don't always have um, huge data sets or knowing uh, exactly what to look for. And then, you know, I guess one of the nightmares is you do a whole load of research and then you find out there was a sort of key element that you maybe didn't look for in the first place that, you know, would have really been helpful had you, you know, been able to think through or have advice from researchers such as yourselves. Yeah. So mm. That's a great point. So what we try to do with these sort of conversations is to avoid having to do data autopsies instead yeah. of data analysis. Data <laughs> so. autopsy, yeah. <laughs> I think everyone knows that feeling. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh, most of the time, for example, that uh, as data scientists we spend on is on to cleaning the data, normalizing, making sure that things are okay to then do the actual statistics of the actual uh, research. Mm. Uh, uh, so trying to start uh, thinking about what sort of decisions we can make before we acquire that data or those samples mm. all together to improve the quality of our research is, is, is the main topic of today, no? Why, mm. what we can do to fight the bias. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fighting the bias and uh, avoiding autopsies on our projects. That sounds good. <laughs> so what's bias? No? Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We, we have that uh, uh, bias if we just look at it in general definition would be a disproportionate weight in favor of against something and mm-hmm. this usually has a negative connotation because it's gonna uh, uh, validate whatever conclusions might mm-hmm. come out of it, thoughts, um, uh, outputs. In research, it's, it's a form of systematic uh, error that uh, in some definitions say that can affect scientific investigation. And, and what I would like to say is that it will affect scientific investigation. Mm-hmm. We will not be able to get rid of all the bias or, or the potential error that would be in any experimentation because uh, nature is viable. Just, just that, for example, we cannot control. But there are many decisions that we can take to, to try to improve the, the quality of the data we get mm. and that that's where I wanted to focus on today. Mm. Uh, so if that's okay, I would like to talk about three main uh, categories of bias mm-hmm. uh, and this is a bit uh, based on the work that uh, Kevin Moles and Michael Williams, editors of SLBR, published mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I would like to do is talk about these three types of bias and put a couple of examples in each of them that maybe you can relate on mm. your own research or on your own plans for future research. So the first one would be uh, bias through ignorance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, uh, this can come on a bit more abstract or less abstract uh, mm. uh, idea, but let's, let's talk about the most basic. So mm-hmm. for example, I might not be aware of the correct statistical test to, to, to analyze my data. Yeah. And because I'm not aware of that, I might make a mistake that results into a false positive. Mm-hmm. So I bias uh, my uh, analysis uh, through ignorance. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, the, in the same way, it could be that I'm not aware of a more powerful uh, mm. test. Yes. And I bias yes. my. Uh, in, in this category, also, we can start talking about one of the three big R's. I like to talk about three R's <laughs> for uh, 
data quality and yeah. this first one is replicates. So if we are looking, for example, at a small cohort of patients, we might not see a big enough picture and we might find differences that we draw as conclusions, something that we could associate perhaps to a disease versus control or to a treatment versus no treatment. And that is not really a true association because we are looking at just a small cohort. Mm -hmm. So we have always think about how many patients or how many samples if you're working with cells are enough to draw a conclusion. Mm -hmm. This is a question we get a lot. Mm -hmm. How many? How many? Yes. There is... There is not a number that we can really tell, mm -hmm. but we can work together to do some power calculations to try to estimate what would be that number based mm -hmm. on what compromises we can make. So how how much, let's say, accuracy on the measurements or the differences you want to have mm -hmm. uh, versus how much uh, funding you might have to collect yeah. the number of samples. Yeah, yeah. And trying to make decisions that will make your statistics robust. So maybe mm -hmm. you have to drop one condition, but mm -hmm. then you ensure that your other conditions are well represented and you will get a good answer. Um, so basically, the, the first way to get rid of it is to make sure, or in terms of um, sort of planning your analysis, is to make sure that you've got the right numbers to begin with. And really, when we're talking about the right numbers, we're talking about prospective studies here rather than doing anything retrospective, um, I think. Is that correct? Well, Depends if you're, for example, going to use samples that you have already collected to, mm -hmm. to, for example, apply another technique. Let's say that you have samples in a freezer from a, um, from patients that underwent, I don't know, aortic surgery yes. and you want to do some sort of uh, uh, transcriptomics to see what genes are changing in those, in those uh, patients mm -hmm. versus... I don't know, let's say patients that underwent emergency surgery versus the ones that didn't. Mm -hmm. At that time, you could perhaps do a small pilot to see how the data looks like and mm -hmm. then do power calculations to decide how many samples you will have to unfreeze and process mm -hmm. to get to the answer that you're looking yes. uh, for. Yes. But of course... Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mm -hmm. tricky one. It's retrospective to a point. <laughs> yes, no, I see what you mean there. I see what you mean, yeah. You're looking at, at studies, that are, you know, samples that have already been collected, but you're looking at something new within those samples and you're not kind of, you're not looking at, say, um, our samples that have already had that process done and then picking the ones that, you know, you want like a cohort or something like that. You're, um, you're selecting something entirely new. Then the, another type of bias I would like to talk is a bias by design. And mm -hmm. here we could engulf anything that has to do with experimental design. Mm -hmm. In a clinical practice, for example, we might consider, do I have the correct controls? Do I have any control in place and it is the control adequate to the study that I am uh, that I am trying to, to set up. Uh, if I'm doing some sort of complementary technique, if I'm, I'm not just looking at patient data, but I'm going to, let's say, do, for example, metabolomics, I'm going to look at uh, blood samples. Do I know, for example, what tubes do I have to collect my samples in? Have I thought about these things? Have I engaged with the professionals that are going to process the samples to give me advice? But for example, in this particular uh, point, there are some tubes that are called masks your uh, biological sample mm -hmm. uh, worse than others because they have already an inner signal uh, based on the compounds that are in each of the collection tubes mm -hmm. for blood. Mm -hmm. uh, this is just a, an example that mm -hmm. might 
might put mm -hmm. into reference how a very simple conversation can save so much time mm -hmm. down the line. Yes. <laughs> uh, if we are going to collect a lot of samples, for example, uh, are, are we going to need to process them in batches? Mm -hmm. And then if we are going to need to do that, can we make sure each batch represents all the different types uh, of samples that we have? Mm -hmm. uh, for example, if you are looking at controls, uh, control patients versus disease, and you're trying to find biomarkers, uh, you will have to have batches that will represent both control and disease in both uh, batches that you might need to, or in as many mm -hmm. batches as you might need to process your samples. Mm -hmm. Because if not, you will inherently add variation mm -hmm. between your different groups of study that is not due to their biological differences, it's due to just experimental design. Yeah, processing differences <laughs> rather than you're actually adding in, you're, you're shoveling in some extra bias um, by having some exactly. variation in your actual process ability of so yeah okay mm. yeah if we collect you we process uh, samples in two different batches mm -hmm. we're gonna have a slightly different pipetters mm -hmm. perhaps processing the samples mm -hmm. one might have slept a little bit more or less and might be on point to collect the samples after the timer clicks or not mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. there might be a delay that day on the instrumentation uh, like, there are many things that are gonna show mm. uh, if for example we are working with cell cultures mm -hmm. uh, are we using the same media for all the questions mm -hmm. or do we have different batches mm -hmm. these are things that even if we don't think by influence, we mm -hmm. can see them in the data later. Yeah. We can see perhaps that two different batches of media are the main difference driving uh, uh, the, the structure in your data. Mm. You don't really want that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something yeah. you are particularly interested in. Mm -hmm. So this brings me to the other two R's I mentioned before mm -hmm. that I wanted to mention three R's. The yes. first one was replication. Mm -hmm. And then these two new ones are reference and randomize. Mm -hmm. So reference relate and to just think about do you have, do you have the sufficient controls? Do you have uh, perhaps uh, a positive uh, control, a negative control if necessary? Do you have the standards that your study or the technique that you're going to use to analyze your samples mm -hmm. is requ requires? Mm -hmm. have, you, have you really thought about all these steps? Mm -hmm. These are going to be key to be able to uh, normalize all your data and make sure that whatever signals we detect are true signals and not due to artifacts. Mm -hmm. And then randomization is a concept that uh, even though it's very simple, we, we tend to, to overlook, especially because we need to be really tidy and really mm -hmm. really careful with how to we design uh, our experiments. And I'm going to go quite far to put the first example, but because I think it's quite uh, representative. So imagine that you have a glass house and you're going to look at plants. You have a wild type and two mutants and you like to order your plants such as all your wild types are together mm -hmm. and your, two, your first mutant then, and then the next mutant. Yeah, so let's imagine we have them all stratified, no? mm -hmm. uh, our three different conditions. Mm -hmm. By the nature of the orientation of the glass house, one side of it is going to get a little bit more sun, it's going to mm -hmm. have a slightly higher temperature, and the humidity is also going to be different to the opposite corner of the glass house. Yeah. If we haven't really arranged our plants in a way that they are covering all the space, we haven't tried to 
randomize them so they are not stratified groups, mm-hmm. we are going to see that effect. We're going to see that the plants that got more sun are going to be slightly bigger than the ones that got less. Mm-hmm. And so humidity is going to affect them. And we are not interested in those effects because what we just wanted to see mm-hmm. is the genetic differences between the one type and the two mutants. Mm-hmm. If you think about relating this to patients, uh, you don't want anything that might affect the, your collection in in the same way. So let's say, for example, that you are gonna test metabolomics again. If you test some patients in the morning, others in the afternoon, others in the evening, they are all gonna have inherent differences due to the circadian clock rhythms or the, the meals that they might have had before. Uh, I know that when we do collect patient data, this might be unavoidable to, to, to be there, mm-hmm. but being able to log it, report it, and try to have a, a cohort that is representative of all the differences that you have is mm-hmm. key to be able to minimize for this, uh, this drift that you might, mm-hmm. you might see on your data. Mm-hmm. So trying to be as, as uh, in this case, chaotic as possible, mm-hmm. making sure that there is not clear trend that is separating your groups mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. For example, if you have controls and disease, you, you don't want to sample or controls in the morning or disease in the afternoon because that's going to uh, include there a little bias that you could have corrected by, um, by having a bit more uh, random Mm-hmm. Uh, sample collection and this mm-hmm. I realize is a bit of a silly example uh, but just the one that I could come up with. I, I think it's a brilliant example actually I really do it really gives a very good sort of mental picture of how circumstances can affect your results um, and I guess the equivalent of the, this you know being in the sunshine or being in a shady place or whatever it would be you know some people with diabetes some people without diabetes you know again other other factors that can influence how you know patients you know present I'm thinking in surgical terms but um you know, or what sort of you know how they might present with certain problems or how they might recover even um and actually you're quite right if you don't have examples from all of those areas and all of the things that can affect people um, and that it's not equally sampled um, then you're uh, then you're, you're going to have a um, disproportionate amount of evidence of one result, which may not be attributable to what you're actually trying to measure, but may be attributable to those under you know exposing circumstances that actually you're not interested in what well, you are, but you're not interested in that effect. You're looking at the other another effect. So no, I think it's a really yeah, good like visual um, example. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that you make an excellent point. Mm-hmm. So when we talk, uh, look back at metadata, mm-hmm. when we look at comorbidities mm-hmm. or perhaps medication, uh, I mean we need to to make sure all those things are really clearly represented on the data, so mm-hmm. they can be used for further data analysis. Mm-hmm. And you have to make a choice uh, of what samples to process. Try to to homogenize your groups as much as possible. So if you have, let's say, um, diabetes in place as mm-hmm. you mentioned, so can you make that both of if you're testing two groups, both mm-hmm. of the, your groups have roughly equal, like mm-hmm. 50-50% diabetic versus not diabetic. Mm-hmm. Or if most of your patients are diabetic, can you make them all that? Di- well, make them, mm-hmm. all, we collect yeah. them all that are mm-hmm. diabetic. So at mm-hmm. least you are comparing as much apples to apples yeah. as possible. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean that you have to neglect. So you, you might think now, hey, but if I'm studying something or if I am interested in something that has very low prevalence, mm-hmm. I will never get the numbers that I need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you can you can look at 
some major trends on, on larger uh, sample sizes. And then once you have selected, let's say, some key markers, mm -hmm. you can see how those change it in your small group. Perhaps you're looking at a genetic condition that is more uh, niche. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can use knowledge from larger cohorts to go then and look at uh, those particular samples and target what you're looking for instead of having this broad uh, study to see what changes overall. Mm. Um, it all depends on what is the particular research question, but, but it's worth thinking about these mm. things. Another thing to mention, uh, for example, for dosage of drugs, this is something that, that is quite a, a sore spot in, in many studies. Have you really researched that you have a comparable dosage, let's say, for different uh, compounds. So mm -hmm. one might be much more aggressive than the other, and you might see much sharp uh, change in, let's say, uh, genetic tra uh, transcription or even protein abundance. But that's because you are not comparing the same dose with respect mm -hmm. to other, or they might have a bit milder effect. Mm -hmm. I suppose when looking at patients, this is not that big of a deal because the doses are quite well uh, calculated. But if mm -hmm. you're doing some cell uh, assays, this, mm -hmm. this might really show. Yeah. Oh, no, interesting. So our main our R's are um, randomization. Yes. Um, the Making sure we've got the right numbers. I've forgotten the R for that one. <laughs> Replicate, replicate yes. that's it, yeah. and recording. Is that it was referencing. Referencing. So make, making sure you have an, your controls, your standards, all in place, yeah. so you can compare to something that is uh, strong and robust. Excellent. Right, that's it. Replicate, reference, and randomize. Replicate, reference, randomize. Excellent. So they're, four th <laughs> they're three things, not four things, three things we can do to minimize bias before we've started, basically. Just to wrap up on this last point about yes. the conditions, the last bias I'm going to mention is mm -hmm. bias by misinterpretation. Yeah. And there are only three points here mm -hmm. that I want to touch. The first of all is, is one that is a bit philosophical, but it affects all of us with the pressures of academia and the need to publish very soon, to publish only good, well, positive results, mm -hmm. to write grants and to carry on on this madness mm -hmm. of uh, uh, produce, produce, produce mm -hmm. without thinking time, without mm -hmm. time to really grow something. Mm -hmm. We tend to publish things that are not that reproducible and there mm -hmm. are quite a lot of studies that show that when you try to reproduce certain uh, key uh, yeah. findings, it's not that easy. Mm -hmm. And also there are studies that don't, don't have validation. So mm -hmm. first thing to take home, take home message, when you're designing your experiment, don't think that it ends when you have done your analysis and found some sort of answer. Always try to plan for that validation step. Mm, Can you yeah. get hold on other perhaps complementary samples to just validate those few perhaps markers that you have found? Mm -hmm. uh, can you maybe use a complementary technique to see if what you are finding is really there mm -hmm. and how it's, it's measured? Mm. The second thing I wanted to mention is that there is a lack, a huge lack of non-reporting negative results in academia. Mm -hmm. And this is a huge problem. Mm. So if I don't know who is going to be the main audience listening to us, but mm -hmm. I think uh, many of you are going to be on becoming 
the, the next generation of scientists, mm -hmm. clinician scientists, mm -hmm. that are going to shape how things are going to look like. Mm -hmm. Please start reporting negative results. You can just mm -hmm. upload your paper in BioArchive. Mm -hmm. It's free, mm -hmm. but it's there for the community to appraise. Is that a um, is that one of these preprint servers? Is that what that yes. is? Uh, okay. Yeah, I was I was listening to um, some discussions about all this because it's it's kind of it's a bit of a new concept to me anyway. I, I know they've been going for a bit, but I think with um, you know the, all the coronavirus stuff, it, it's all kind of exploded on all the preprint stuff and um, and saying that essentially it's like getting peer review but without having the official peer review process <laughs> because people will be but it's again because it's not peer the peer review process you know you may get some you may get some useful suggestions you may get some less useful suggestions and i guess when you're analyzing any anything you find on those websites you have to bear in mind that it's not been through the peer review and things like that but it's but still it's a it's a, a forum that you can um put your work on to get some sort of feedback yeah exactly as you journey. say you have to mm -hmm. take it all with a pinch of salt because mm -hmm. it hasn't been peer review mm -hmm. uh, but that's where your uh, your own uh, capacity of of, of waiting the, the value of a publication can enter mm -hmm. in place mm -hmm. and also for negative results as we don't have current peer review mm -hmm. platforms to publish mm -hmm. at least it is it might be a good point because to to be able to reference there you, you might decide to change your study slightly if you found that someone didn't didn't get the results they wanted mm -hmm. or you might might find another angle to look at things yes it's always worth sharing no like we need to move away from this idea of a particular group, a particular person did X, Y, and Z. It's team science what mm. matters. Mm. Um, it's about sharing results uh, and being as, as as inquisitive and, and critical of our own work as, as we can. Yeah. yeah. So going to my last point really mm -hmm. quick with this, perhaps mm -hmm. a bit gloomy thought, but the need for good reporting. So recently we, we published, a, actually led by Dr. Hannah Davis, that is an amazing researcher also in cardiovascular research, mm -hmm. but we published a, a review in which we outlined the quality of reporting in aortic tissue mm -hmm. research. And we found that most of the papers don't, don't really report the very clearly what how many samples they use mm. they don't report clearly uh, what is the metadata for the patients uh, they don't report clearly the site they, they have collected the tissue like mm. depending on what site you're collecting the tissue mm. you're going to have ma massive different mm -hmm. differences that are going to be inherent to, to the tissue per se no? yeah. so how can we appraise and contextualize our research mm. uh, without that yeah. and try to make the data available. So if you try to fight all these things and when you are thinking about writing up your things or even you are already still on the planning side, mm -hmm. think, where are you going to put your data once you have collected? Are there repositories where you could make it publicly available? Mm -hmm. Are you going to simply append it as a file in your publication? Mm -hmm. And then make sure that you have all the information you need in terms of metadata, in terms of site collection, mm -hmm. and report it as thorough as possible. Mm -hmm. Some journals might not allow you to write long methods, but mm -hmm. the supplementary info is super helpful to at least give us as, as much detail to others to for others to reproduce your work. We've got other avenues other than the other than the sort of peer review journals as well to consider when it comes to planning work because that might give us some really good clues into what 
things might trip us up along the way that may not be in the wider sort of academic field and and these are becoming more and more common as far as I can understand that people are, are using those just to kind of put their work out there brilliant okay um so are there any things that you've particularly sort of seen and you don't worry you don't have to like name and shame at all but anything that you've seen that you've thought ah yeah that's a that's a pitfall someone's fallen into or ah that's going to take us another six months to sort out or or that yeah is is there anything that springs to mind at all that um actually we were handling one last week that Mm. was quite interesting Uh, so we had uh, data from a big uh, european consortium and we had uh, data from at least three different hospitals in three different countries Mm. we were studying a disease that can be ranked numerically numerically Mm -hmm. uh, from one to ten and uh, we could see that uh, despite the cohorts were uh, similarly in terms of age and uh, comorbidities, mm-hmm. uh, some, one of the centers scored uh, most of the patients much higher than uh, the other two. Mm-hmm. So we are um, under the strong, uh, uh, well, we're testing the strong hypothesis mm-hmm. that uh, basically the ways of ranking the patients for both sides are not comparable. Mm. So thinking about, for example, this before you start the study and perhaps mm. making sure that the doctors in all centers uh, are going to classify at least a subgroup of patients that are in, mm. in, in, in each other's centers just mm. by looking at their cases, mm. it might be good because then if you have some patients that have been classified by doctors in all the centers, you can normalize them all. Mm. This this can be linked, for example, when you have different markers uh, in exams, there's going to be, for example, one one teacher that is going to give very good marks to everybody, yeah. and others that is going to be much worse, yeah. and you need them both to correct a, 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 an overlapping cohort to correct for that bias. Yes. So it's, it's the same way, as, as soon as there is not a very clear criteria, a number, let's say, to decide this is number one classification of disease, this is number two, this is number three. If you are just looking at major, let's say, um, signs of pain or signs of something that can have a bit more human, let's say. Subjective rather than objective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another one, for example, that is very common is to, uh, for researchers to think, oh, this very interesting patient that had this condition also came in, I'm going to recruit him. Mm. Um, or uh, I'm going to try to have as many different little groups represented on my study. That's not necessarily going to work because if you don't have enough samples in each of the groups, you're not going to be able to do the stats. Mm. So you're not going to get much out of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, in that case, I'm like again, I don't want to say don't look at patients that uh, don't have uh, uh, don't fall into the main categories. No, it's, it's not about that, but it's about knowing what is your question. If you just want to look at general things, mm-hmm. then you need to try to homogenize your population as much as possible, but your sample as much as possible, and make it representative of the population. Mm-hmm. If you want to look at a specific genetic condition or a particular group of patients that is much uh, uh, that is suffer something that is less prevalent, mm-hmm. then you might have to design a specific experiment for the normal study mm-hmm. and, and make it last for long enough to, mm-hmm. to 
to collect those samples, mm -hmm. or what I think is the most practical way, collect as many samples as you can in any, yeah. <laughs> in any case, and then decide carefully which ones are going to um, be processed mm -hmm. for uh, further analysis. Mm -hmm. Of course, all depending on what the ethics allow us to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but having there a repository of samples in the biobanks that will allow us to come back and mm. carry on testing hypotheses is, is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Um, so... We've talked a bit about um, you've talked a bit about people kind of um, uh, working together there with sort of the um, European collaborative study that you mentioned, and that I think is really <laughs> it's really interesting because um, you know quite rightly people can think they're working along the same path and actually they're working along different paths and one of the things we've talked about before is about sort of um multidisciplinary working and and and, um, and making sure that you collaborate and uh, and talk to people because the blind spots i have you might be able to see and the blind spots that you might have you know other people might be able to see purely because we're all trained in a slightly different way and we've got our own slightly different experiences um so how 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 does that how is that facilitated um, uh, where you are? What sort of things do you do you do to kind of enable people to do research with as much sort of input from different teams as possible? So we uh, well from our facility and from most of the facilities at the university uh, or any university, what we love is to engage with the project from the very beginning, mm -hmm. help design it, mm -hmm. and then uh, keep that close communic open communication and close collaboration throughout. So mm -hmm. we understand what are really the challenges. Sometimes mm -hmm. we we as the theoretician we might come up with this is the perfect experimental design, and you might say this will never happen because it's not possible. Mm -hmm. It's not possible to collect these patients, mm -hmm. or it's not possible to process the samples mm -hmm. in this way but by talking to each other is how we are going to realize where is the common ground where is uh, where is our best work possible mm -hmm. uh, and all the things that i have mentioned might seem a bit daunting like because you might not know about the specific of a technique or what tubes you need to use to collect this mm -hmm. or that but what I really wanted to say is what you, you just started to say, Caroline, that this is multidisciplinary work. We are here to support your work. We and any anybody that works in a facility, we are here to, to make sure that you succeed with science and we succeed, to, succeed together. Because, as I said, it's not about the one person or the one group anymore. It's team science and we are together on anything that we want to advance. So use, use us. We... We are really uh, uh, something that uh, might, might enhance your research uh, and uh, we might enhance yours. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure you, I'm sure you would. Yeah, yeah. Um, brilliant. Um, and so how does that work? How does that work in terms of getting in contact with a department like, like yours or uni working with a university department? Because I think um, oftentimes people will take their time out to do a PhD and then obviously there's funding associated with that that means that people can work within departments to bring that. But are there associations you've got with the hospitals or with... Um, like how, how does that come about? How do we... Uh, engage yeah, with so teams there. We work with anybody, so mm. our services are public from mm. academia to industry, mm -hmm. uh, anybody that wants to access us. The caveat is that we operate under a cost recovery model, mm -hmm. uh, so there is a, a chance associated to accessing our facilities. Saying that, 
we're always very happy to advise mm -hmm. um, outside the cost recovery and yeah. just have conversations about science. Mm. Uh, if you are undertaking a PhD, mm -hmm. it might be really good for you to just decide to, I'm going to get good at this and I'm going to train for that. Mm -hmm. So you can use, you can join the courses that we put together for mm -hmm. the faculty that are quite mm -hmm. uh, quite cheap really for what they yeah, are heavily yeah. subsidized yeah. Um, and get on with it and then come back with uh, questions. So we have, for example, mm -hmm. an art club mm -hmm. in the faculty where you can post your questions there and we mm -hmm. will try to help. Mm -hmm. We have uh, Microsoft Teams uh, uh, groups in which we will help different students with questions. Mm -hmm. And we are thinking in, in starting a, a an afternoon a week or every two weeks mm -hmm. for consultomics come and ask us uh, questions yeah. about your data analysis yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no it sounds it sounds like a really good idea because sometimes people just need a like a little pointer in the right direction and then and then they've they've got it where you know rather than kind of in-depth the assessment of everything in it so no i think that sounds like an excellent idea Brilliant. Oh, well, thank you very, very much. So we have got that we've got bias and that we have to look out for it and that there is got, I'm going to try and remember those three R's again. Reference, recording and randomization. So instead of recording, we had replicate. replicate. But I think, yeah. I think after the postcard, I'm going to make it the four hours because I think recording is important yeah. and it follows <laughs> with, the, with the flow. Man, <laughs> okay, so let's start with that then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have reference. Yes. So do you have your controls? Do you have uh, your standards that might need, might be needed by, mm -hmm. for your technique? Have you thought about those things? Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, then the second one would be replicate. Mm -hmm. Are you collecting enough samples to see an effect between the groups you are studying? Mm -hmm. Third one, randomize. Mm -hmm. Are you making sure the way you're collecting, the way you're designing is not introducing Bias. a particular the flow that is not associated with your uh, groups. Mm -hmm. And the fourth one is recording. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> are you sure that you have uh, all the metadata in place? Do you have mm -hmm. all the information that uh, might influence how the data is going to look like, available and ready to share? Yeah. Um, so I think, Caroline, for now, all my talks include the recording because it's brilliant. <laughs> I do think, I think it's, a, it, it's an area where it really helps to have that sort of structure to, to approach it and to think about it and to try and think about it before rather than during or after we're doing studies. It's really helpful. Um, and uh, and, and it, then it kind of helps to frame exactly what, hopefully, what sort of data will come out with and how we, how we analyse it. Um, so no, that's really helpful. And then hopefully you come up with good quality work, which will show either some positive or questionable significance <laughs> work. But either way will be useful because that's most yeah. important. Like whatever, whatever studies we're doing, whatever processes we're investigating, the priority is that what we come out with is valuable and worth the effort and time that we've put into it so we're not doing any autopsies yeah. on, our, on our research we're not yeah. crying into our pillows at night about it <laughs> and we can um, and and that actually we're making contributions whether or not they show what we're expecting or what we 
or what we maybe prefer them to show at least we've got something yeah. valuable um and yeah. i think the idea quality absolutely yeah. quality science and, and and something other people can build on as well because and collaborate exactly. with absolutely yeah. so those and are the also many many students get very anxious when when they don't get results oh my my, my thesis oh my god yeah. uh, but you can write a thesis full on negative results yeah. uh, <laughs> it, it's fine it's, yeah. it's the quality of the science what matters yeah yeah and then and then that's equally useful to you know whoever is making the next step in that process will be able to hopefully avoid some of the things that they know are actually no longer going to be useful or have been shown reliably um to to not contribute one way or another excellent oh well thank you very very much Eva (laughs) it's really (laughs) it's really useful chatting about these things and uh, well thank you very much for your time really appreciate it so thank you so much to Eva for having a chat with us uh, about bias in research and experimental design and I very much hope that uh, you enjoyed it as much as I did If there are any specific other topics that you'd like to suggest that we cover, be very happy to hear them. And you can always contact uh, me at sctseducationpodcast at gmail.com. And now we also have a Twitter site, uh, which is the Twitter handle of at podcast underscore SCTS. Or you can just search for SCTS Education Podcast on Twitter and it should come up. Um, I'll put a link to the uh, commentary that um, Eva alluded to at the beginning about bias in research um, as well in the show notes uh, for anyone who wants to have a look through that reference. So thank you very much for listening and very happy to hear your comments and uh, suggestions.